Well, this morning we are returning to our study in the book of Judges. It's going to be Judges chapter 6, where we are going to be introduced to a man named Gideon. And God is going to call Gideon to become a judge. Now, so far in this book, we have learned about Othniel and Ehud and Deborah. And we've also been observing this cycle that uh, repeats itself throughout this period. Gideon is listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And as we spend some time in this portion of Scripture, uh, we will better understand why that is. Gideon is a man who refused to be paralyzed with fear, and he became a man of faith, even a mighty warrior. So as we consider this cycle, chapter 6 begins with Israel doing what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. We're going to begin reading the first 10 verses. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the eastern peoples came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. They and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to waste it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them. And he said to them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and I gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in. But you did not obey me. So what we see here is at God's hand, God handed them over to Midian. At God's hand... Midian oppressed Israel for seven years until they cried out to God. Now, Midian Midian is the son of Abraham. He's one of his sons uh, through a woman named Keturah who was a concubine. And you can see there on the map where the Midianites ended up moving to During the time of Joseph, they were described as as traitors and caravanners. And when when Moses fled Egypt, he went to the land of Midian and he stayed with with Jethro's clan. Now, uh, initially these folks did stay down there by the, the, the eastern side of the Gulf of Aquaba. If you, if you look at the map there, you can see there's the Gulf of Suez and then the Gulf of Aqaba. And on the, in between the two is the Sinai Peninsula and then the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is going to continue running until it, 
It takes a little turn, there's the Gulf of Aden, and then it dumps into the Arabian Sea. If you kept going east, you'd be crossing Saudi Arabia, and you'd come to the Persian Gulf, and it ultimately also dumps into the Arabian Sea. You can see the big long green line, that's the Nile River and the Nile Delta. So that is the land of Midian. That's where Moses ended up fleeing to. So initially this is where they, they settled, but at different periods of time, their power extended and their reach would move all the way across the Sinai Peninsula and sometimes north, all up into Transjordan, as in our case in this passage this morning. Now, we tend to think of these folks as nomads, but archaeology from this period that we're studying right now has shown towns, walled cities, and extensive irrigation. Now, when these folks were moving north up Transjordan and crossing the Jordan River into Israel, there were other people that joined them. There were the Amalekites, and we remember that Amalek is the grandson of Esau. And then your, some of your Bibles might say the Quetomites, but that just means people from the east. So uh, there were folks that joined the cause and jumped in and saw an opportunity to ride on the, on the tailcoats of Midian as he was doing these things to the nation of Israel. God was using them to oppress Israel, to teach the Jewish people. It had everything to do with God's relationship with his children. So, like a swarm of locusts, these people would sweep across the Jordan River into the breadbasket, as it were, and devour it. And they would, they would devour everything. And if anything was left, it was not on purpose. They didn't intentionally leave, intentionally leave anything. Um, this map here, uh, Linda, I know you love maps, so this is all for you. <laughs> the next slide's a map, too. But... Uh, this is a map of Israel, and it shows the different allotments of the land to the different tribes. And so these folks would, uh, would swoop in across the Jordan River into the, the heart of uh, Israel. Now, uh, Gideon is from the tribe of Manasseh. And so we're going to be looking at the area that is west of Galilee, west of the Sea of Galilee. And as we study through these next three or four chapters, we're going to find out that there were other tribes that became involved. Asher and Zebulun, Naphtali and Ephraim. And so all of these folks are going to play a major role in what is about to happen, which is extremely exciting. And so we see here that the people of Israel cried out to God. And instead of sending them a judge, or instead of sending them a deliverer, a judge is just another word for deliverer, someone who God raises up to uh, get, the, get the Israelites out of their mess. Instead of raising up a deliverer, he brings them a prophet. And he did this because the, the Jewish people needed to understand why they were oppressed. You know, so often we get into some kind of jam and we cry out to God for relief, but we never stop to question what got us into the situation in the first place. And this is exactly what needed to happen. And um, the prophet came to them and he said, you know, uh, I delivered you from Egypt. I drove out these people before you. I gave you their land. And all I did is I asked you to stay faithful to me, but you didn't do it. You did not obey me, is what the text says there in verse 10. 
Now, normally after such a pronouncement, it's usually followed by judgment. You know, uh, you followed other gods, therefore, I'm going to hand you over to your enemies. That kind of a... Uh, Equation is usually found in Scripture repeatedly over and over. Um, I've got an example here in Jeremiah chapter 11, and I'll be reading verses 10 through 11. See if you can see here this formula. The house of Israel and the house of Judah broke my covenant I made with their ancestors. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I'm about to bring on them disaster that they cannot escape. They will cry out to me, but I will not hear them. So you can hear that, that pronouncement of judgment that follows their activities. And so this prophet is basically saying, uh, I told you so, God told you so, uh, why are you surprised at what's happening to you? Therefore, you know, we kind of expect further judgment. But instead, out of God's grace, this, the scene shifts. It shifts from a prophet addressing the nation to the angel of the Lord talking to Gideon. And so let's read what happens next. It begins in verse 11, and we'll follow it through to verse 24. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine vat in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Well, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not sending you? He said, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But I will be with you. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. They said, well, if I have found favor in your sight, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And the angel of the Lord said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went and he prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from a half bushel of flour. And he placed the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. And he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on this stone and pour the broth on it. And he did so. The angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace to you, don't be afraid, for you will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it Yahweh Shalom. It is an Ophrah of the Abizrites until today. So the angel of the Lord sat underneath an oak tree in Ophrah. And the oak tree belonged to Joash the Abizrite. And one more map. This one should be familiar because we looked at it. 
the last time we were in the book of Judges. You'll remember uh, Deborah and Barak in the Valley of Jezreel. And from Mount Geboa, there's a river. The river Kishon ro- runs from Mount Geboa west to the Mediterranean. And the whole valley was full of these iron chariots, a massive army, and Israel was trapped and surrounded on Mount Tabor. And God sent a terrible storm and swept them all away, flooded the valley, and those trying to escape the water climbed Mount Tabor and were faced by the Israelites. It's a marvelous story, something that happened in history that we only know about because of the Bible. Well, um, if you see Mount Tabor and then you go south, you'll see another elevation of land that's brown. It's right above the J in Jezreel. That's Mount Mora. And uh, people that know a lot more about this than me uh, conclude that Ophrah is probably somewhere between Mount Mora and Megiddo, but closer to Mount Mora. And uh, there's a modern city in Israel right now called, uh, let, me write it, let me see if I can, Aphala. And so they think it's basically right there. So we're in the, in the valley of Jezreel where this is occurring, where Gideon is. And like I said, this is the breadbasket. This valley separates Galilee and Samaria. This is where our passage is occurring today. Now, Joash is Gideon's um, dad. All right, and uh, Manasseh had a son named Abizer, and so Joash is a descendant of Abizer, and Gideon is Joash's son. And then this other character that we have here is the angel of the Lord, and we've talked about him before. The angel of the Lord is God, and more specifically, it's Jesus. Whenever God manifests himself or represents himself as a man, it is Jesus. Um, In the book of Colossians, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It says that in him all deity dwells in bodily form. In Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of his nature. That's why Jesus told Philip, why do you ask me to see the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. And so this is Jesus, the angel of the Lord. Now, Jesus pre-exists creation, obviously, because he's God. God is eternal. And so what we are seeing here is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And there's many of them, many Um, We don't see them after the Incarnation, obviously, but in the Old Testament, it happens quite a bit. Uh, In Genesis chapter 16, just for a few examples, Hagar, uh, she recognized that she was in the presence of God. Uh, On Mount Moriah, which is not Mount Mora, Mount Moriah is in Jerusalem where the temple is. Uh, On Mount Moriah, Abraham was there, and God identified himself as the Lord, capital L, O-R-D, Yahweh. That is in Genesis 22, verse 16. Jacob, he heard uh, the angel of the Lord identify himself as the God of Bethel. 
And we could go on and on. You remember Joshua. Uh, the angel of the Lord told Joshua, said, remove your sandals for the ground you stand upon is holy. This is Jesus. And here in our text, we see this movement with Gideon as it begins to dawn on him who he's actually talking to. In the beginning, in, in verse 13, he refers to him as sir. By verse 15, he's calling him Lord. And by the end of his encounter, he's scared to death that he's going to die because he has seen the face of God. And you have to remember that this was a, a very heated conversation. This was a very important conversation. And so Gideon was studying the angel of the Lord's face. As all of us do in important conversations. And so afterwards, he was terrified. Now, there's a couple of other things in this passage that are key for us to understand them. Uh, instead of using a threshing floor to winnow this wheat, Gideon is using a wine press. Now, uh, I've got some more slides. This is a threshing floor. Obviously, this is not in Israel. But it's a big circle like that. And it's usually up on a hilltop. And you put the, the stalks in there and, and you can beat them with sticks. Uh, what you're trying to do is break the, the grains of wheat away from the stalks. And so they'll take oxen and march them around and, and trodden the, the stalks until the, the wheat is removed. And so obviously this is up on a hilltop usually because they will throw, the, throw it up into the air and, and the chaff will blow away with the wind. It's called winnowing. Here's a picture of someone winnowing wheat. And so we're not on a hilltop because we don't want to be seen. So we're in a wine press. And a wine press is hollowed out of stone. And it's usually big enough for at least one or two people to walk around in, squishing the grapes. And some of them did, some of them didn't, but a lot of them had channels that would drain, the juice would drain into other vats where there could be storage and collection or, or ferment right there. And um, so if any of you are thinking about making any wine, that's really all you have to do. Except uh, your feet probably will end up purple. And I don't know for how long, but uh, I'll keep that in mind. And so it's, uh, it's kind of an embarrassing, laughable situation that Gideon is threshing his wheat in a wine press. Obviously, the wine press is not ideal. If you guys have ever worked around hay or ever been to a hay barn in the summer or had to move bale hay or anything, uh, you know it's, it's nasty, it's sticky, itchy. And uh, there's nothing like it. But you can just imagine if you're down in this wine press and there's, the air's not moving and you're throwing it up in the air, it's probably getting back on you and he's hot and sticky. and So he's probably got this straw stuck all over him. And he's trying not to be discovered. And suddenly there's somebody behind him. And it's the angel of the Lord. And he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now under those circumstances, God's probably having a little bit of fun with Gideon. But for all we know, Gideon may have already proven himself to be a mighty warrior at this point. He certainly will prove to be one very soon. 
So Gideon's response was, uh, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He says, you know, Gideon says, really? He said, well, why am I, why am I in a wine press? He's like, um, where is this God? Why has he abandoned us if he's our God? Where are all these miracles I've heard so much about? Well, Gideon's take on his situation illustrates for us exactly why Israel needed a prophet. The nation needed to understand why they were in the situation in the first place. Gideon seems to be, you know, unaware of the why. He doesn't know why they're being oppressed. He he clearly believes in God but he's very critical of him. Why hasn't he rescued us? He just doesn't seem to really know God very well, personally. Or he would understand why, what's happening. We're going to find out some more stuff here as we read through this later. There's more to know about this circumstance with Gideon and why he is so foggy on what's going on with God. But Gideon is is obviously frustrated. He's frustrated with God. And he's ready to argue. And God was probably thinking, well, now we're finally getting somewhere. Now I've finally got your attention. In verse 14, it's the angel of the Lord tells Gideon that he's going to be sending him to be the deliverer. And Gideon has a very similar response that Moses had. You'll remember when when God told Moses what he wanted him to do. Moses was in the land of Midian. And he says, I want you to go back to Egypt and get your people and get them out of there. Well, Moses knew the incredible army, the great nation. It was just like a suicide. And so he offered up 50 million reasons why God had the wrong guy. And... uh, Going back to Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus 4, Moses said these kind of things to God. He said, who am I? And how am I going to go tell them that, you know, you want me to lead them out? He says, I don't even know your name. God, I don't even, I don't even know who you are. What's what's your name? What if they don't believe me? What if the people won't obey me? And he says, I've never been a speaker. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm slow with speech. Some people think he might have even had a speech impediment. And finally, in, in Exodus 4, 13, he says, please, Lord, send someone else. But God's reply each time was, I will be with you. Well, in the same way, Gideon tried to convince God that he had the wrong guy again. And he talks about how uh, the, the, the family, Joash's family, is the weakest of the tribe. And that means that as far as he was concerned, they didn't have any status. You know, you have to remember there's no central government. Nobody's in charge. And, uh, you know, so you have to have, be a person of influence to sway other people to do things. And so this is what he's talking about. He says, we're, you know, we're the weakest of everybody. Nobody's going to listen to us. And besides, I'm the youngest. I'm just a kid. Nobody listens to kids. You've got it all wrong. I'm not the guy. 
And then so the Lord says, I will be with you. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Now, we should notice that God did not disagree with Moses or Gideon. He did not... He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't say, Moses, oh no, you're a great speaker. And God didn't tell Gideon, are you kidding me? Everybody knows who you are. You've got incredible status. Everyone listens to you. Instead, God said, I will be with you. This is because The only reason this plan was going to work, we don't know what it is yet, we haven't seen it, because we haven't read ahead, but the only reason it was going to work is because God was going to be in it. It was God who was going to make it successful. Um, the Bible over and over again teaches us that God is glorified in our weakness. Our weakness teaches us to depend on Him. And uh, our weaknesses refine us, and they strengthen our faith. And I think, uh, I don't know if it was last Sunday or not, I talked about the guy who was basically blind, you know. And God had taught him to be glorified, that he was glorified through his weaknesses. And there's a, there's a battle ahead for Gideon. And God is going to reinforce this spiritual truth. It's going to be very clear that God is glorified in our weaknesses. Well, we see that Gideon prepared a very nice meal, extravagant meal for the situation that the nation was in. And he brought before the angel of the Lord. And he brought it to him as a gift. But what we notice is that God turned the meal into a sacrifice. And not just any sacrifice, he turned it into a burnt offering. The burnt offering is when the entire animal is consumed with fire. And in that offering, what is pictured uh, is an offering of sin, but also an offering of you. Everything you are, everything you have, it's complete consecration. And so this is the offering that God turned the meal into because this was God's call upon Gideon's life, and it's his call upon ours. So let's pray.